like to invite you to turn in your Bibles this evening to the Gospel of John. Our Scripture reading will come from John 15, beginning in verse 26, and we'll read all the way through chapter 16, verse 15, the Gospel of John. We'll begin our reading in verse 26 of the 15th chapter under the heading of the advantages of the Spirit. The advantages of the Spirit. From John 15, verse 26 through chapter 16, verse 15. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with Me from the beginning. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they they have not known the Father nor Me, but I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I have told them to you. Did I, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to Him who sent me and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I, but if I go, I will send Him to you And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see Me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak of His own authority, But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So far the reading of God's holy word. And now we'll also invite you to turn with me in the forms and prayers this evening. Page number 221, that's Lord's Day 20. Lord's Day 20 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Just one question. Question 53. The instructor asks this question. We'll respond in unison. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, that the Spirit with the Father and the Son is eternal God. Second, that He is given also to me so that through true faith He makes me share in Christ and all His benefits, comforts me, and will remain with me forever. And we'll end our reading there this evening. Blessed congregation, what do you think about the Holy Spirit? It was Abraham Kuyper who said, the Holy Spirit is the most neglected member of the Holy Trinity. And in many ways, it's true because it is hard for us as Christians to understand, as Sinclair Ferguson puts it, 
the anonymous, faceless aspect of the divine being. If we think about it, we can quickly conceptualize the person of God the Father because every single person in this room has a Father. And conversely, we can also quickly conceptualize God the Son because many of you fathers, well, I should say all of you fathers, but many of you men will also have sons. But what are we to make of the Holy Spirit? In our Scripture passage this evening, we come to one of the more remarkable statements from Jesus. He says in verse 7, look there with me if you will, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. What a remarkable statement. Remember that in Jesus' ministry, He has led them, taught them, guided them, rescued them, revealed to them God's power and truth in ways they could never have fathomed before. And now in John's Gospel, he's saying the most important thing he can do is leave? How is it ever better to not have Jesus with us? Would not our churches be better with Jesus? Would not our families be better with Jesus? Would not our lives be better if Jesus were with us? But the reason that Jesus leaving is a triumph and not a tragedy, the reason it is a help and not a hindrance, is because in verse 7 he tells us that he is going to give to us the helper. Now, I don't know about you, but my wife doesn't leave her kids with just anybody. You got to be pretty good to be able to babysit my kids. And there is nobody who loves his children more than Jesus. And he doesn't leave us with just anybody. This verse shows us how highly Jesus thinks of the Holy Spirit. Just like how Jesus walked with his disciples, encouraged and exhorted and elevated their spiritual life, Jesus says, the Spirit will do that for every one of us. But unlike Jesus, the Spirit is not limited to a physical body. The Spirit is everywhere. The Spirit is always available. And Jesus wants to show us some advantages of the Holy Spirit. I want to show you three things about the Holy Spirit this evening. He is personally with us. He is powerfully with us. And He is permanently with us. This is the great advantage of the Holy Spirit. Notice the first advantage with me this evening. He is personally with me. Our Scripture passage is located in what's called the Upper Room Discourse. From John chapter 13 all the way till John chapter 17, Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover a final time. And He has told His disciples that it will be this day 
that they will come to arrest him and he will lay down his life for many. These are Jesus' final moments with his best friends. These are his last hours. What would you say to those you love if you knew the days were short? Well, Jesus is remarkably honest in the, this uh, upper room discourse. We can't go through every single passage, but one of the things we see here is that the upper room is a real place of testing. A place of sorrow. Jesus told them in the upper room discourse, we've already read in chapter 16, that the world hates the Father and therefore the world will hate His followers. Remember that Judas in chapter 13 will have already slipped out after being told that he would betray Jesus. Jesus has prophesied, 13 verse 18, that Peter would deny Him He has just told them in chapter 14, I have to leave and go to my Father and that the world will in turn hate them. So if you look at chapter 16, verse 6, the atmosphere of the room is is described. Sorrow has filled your hearts. How can life go on without Jesus? But there's something I want to show you about this Helper in our passage. Notice with me the deity of the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls the Spirit that's going to come and help them the Helper in our ESV Bibles. And this word in the Greek, parakletos, is actually a challenging word to translate because what it literally means is to walk alongside somebody. And so depending on your Bible, it can say, Comforter, counselor, advocate. But the picture we're given of the Spirit is that He is coming to walk alongside you. But if you look closely at verse 26, the person who is coming to walk alongside the disciples is not the Father. It's not the Son. There is a third person called the Helper. The Spirit of Truth who is coming to walk alongside His people. Jesus is being what we would say is very Trinitarian here. He's saying there's a third member of the Trinity. There's God the Father. There's God the Son. There's also God the Holy Spirit. And we see this actually in a very important word here in verse 26 where he talks about the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. Now, I am not joking when I say that that word proceeds is the most controversial word in church history. In fact... That word proceeds caused one of the biggest church splits ever when the Eastern Church and the Western Church back in 1054 divided the entire globe over this issue. Which is why we have Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholics in the West. In fact, this word is so important, Abraham Kuyper says, if we don't get the right view of this word, we can quickly fall into the heresy 
of mysticism. So what does it mean that the Spirit proceeds? This is why I asked you to read the Nicene Creed with me this evening. We see in the Nicene Creed, it says that the Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. What it's communicating there is actually that the third person of the Trinity is holy God. Without division, alienation, or change. The word proceed can also be translated as spirate, to breathe out. It's as if God has breathed out His Spirit and sent out His very essence from Himself. He is giving us divinity in the giving, the proceeding of the Holy Spirit. That's what the first point of our Heidelberg Catechism is making here. If you look back at question 53, it says that the Spirit with the Father and the Son is eternal God. That there is no distinction between the essence of God in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three persons are holy, totally, and entirely God. That is that the glory and the praise and the worship that the Father and the Son are due is also due the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, I have to leave. And where is He going? He's going to God, the Father. To the place where God dwells. To send us something. The very location of the Spirit also speaks to His divinity. Now congregation, we also need to recognize that in the course of church history, this has been something that's been very debated. There have been people who have been anti-Trinitarian, who have denied the Trinity, but what we need to know this evening is that the Bible has always testified to the divinity of the Holy Spirit. If you have a Bible, let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. The first chapter of the Bible where we are told that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Very first thing the Bible teaches us, and look at the second verse. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And who do we see? The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God is present even in the creation. Present before the creation. What this means, Robert Lethem, a Reformed theologian, says is that in everything that follows in Genesis, the production of light, dry land, vegetation, creatures in the sea, air and land, and then humanity itself, we should understand that the Spirit is engaged in creating them. Everything in this world its whole existence 
springs from the Spirit. Hence, there is no sun, no moon, no stars, no materials, no plants, no animals, no man, no skills, no gifts, no talents, unless the Spirit touches them and supports them in this created world. Congregation, the Helper is God. Do you remember back in John 3.16? It says, God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son. We could read John 14.15 and 16 as Jesus so loved you, He gave you His Holy Spirit. It's a gift. He's not just divine, but He is also a gift to you and I. And what a comfort this must have been to the disciples when Jesus says, I must leave, but He says, I will send My Spirit. The same Spirit who created the world. The same Spirit who upholds the world. The same Spirit who governs and directs all things. Who raised Jesus from the dead. He says, is with you. And they didn't have to go very long without His Spirit. You see, in our Heidelberg Catechism, we have concluded our study of the person of Christ, haven't we? Beginning in Lord's Day 11, we began to talk about Jesus Christ and His titles for, uh, I believe it was two Lord's Days, and then we, excuse me, three Lord's Days, and then we talked about His incarnation. And in Lord's Day 19, we see His ascension and return. And now it's talking about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the first thing Christ did after He got to heaven is pour out His Holy Spirit. He wouldn't leave His disciples for even a moment without His help. But He would always be with them. He has promised to never leave or forsake. Notice with me in verse 26 who Jesus is speaking to. He says, I will send to you from the Father. The Catechism says that we are included in that. That the Spirit, question 53, is given also to me. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? The Bible actually has an incredible list of things that the Spirit does for the believer. Very quickly, I just want to summarize them. We're told that He indwells us and seals us. That He guarantees the promise. We're told that He regenerates us. That is, He brings us to new life. We're told that He comforts us. That is, He brings Christ to us. We are told that He sanctifies us. We are told that He is the gift giver. That He gives wisdom. Consider this this evening, my friends. That if you have the Holy Spirit with you, you have got everything you need. What do you need in this life? What is your trial? What is your burden? Is there anything that the Spirit cannot supply your need for? The Bible says, in giving the Spirit, we have been given the greatest of gifts. Now as you know, 
after points in the sermons that I present here at Trinity, I like to give an application. Usually they're relatively short, but I'd like to maybe discuss something that might be a bit of a longer application today. You might call it an excursus. Because I'd like to chat about something which has arisen in the last hundred years or so, which we have been calling Pentecostalism, a charismatic movement, or spirit baptism. This is something that we need to talk about as our churches because as uh, Robert Lethem mentions in his book on the Holy Spirit, he places the current estimates of the size of Pentecostalism as, as around the 650 million person mark. Which would make up a huge portion of the church's confessing Christian population. And so if you haven't encountered Pentecostalism, you will at one point. And I'd like to define it a little bit as best I can. And their beliefs are very broad, and they lack consensus on many things. But the dominant theme of Pentecostalism is that you must have a post-conversion experience. In fact, when Pentecostalism first arose in 1906 in Los Angeles, California, it arose because of a renewed emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And they specifically claimed that the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit given in the New Testament are of ongoing relevance for us today, especially the gift of tongues. Now, as many of you know, um, I did my undergraduate degree at a uh, school which was associated with the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, and if you didn't know that, it's too late to fire me now. But my professors actually vigorously taught that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was an experience that only some people would receive. And you would know that you were baptized by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, when you spoke in what they called other tongues. In fact, they believed it so much that if you did not speak in tongues, you could not be ordained in the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. So before graduation, everybody gave it their best shot. And what they meant by speaking in tongues from 1 Corinthians 13.1, is they said that God gives to people a private prayer language. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of angels. And they said that is actually possible to speak in the tongues of angels. And if you were to witness it, it's sort of um, a, a gibbering, if you will, a mindless, ecstatic praying in a heavenly language, they claim. Now, I still have many friends in the Pentecostal church. And I'm thankful for God's work through them. But when Jesus says in John 15, I'm going to send to you the Spirit of truth, is this what He is describing? That His people will have a second filling of the Spirit after conversion 
where they speak in an angelic language. Let's be clear this evening that if the Holy Spirit is only given to pastors or given to spiritual people who can speak in tongues, then the helper is not a helper of us all, but only a helper of some. Is that what Christ is describing here? No, He's saying not only to John, not just to Peter, but to all His disciples, He will give the Holy Spirit. You know, if you flip with me this evening to 1 Corinthians 12, I think you should. Flip with me to 1 Corinthians 12 this evening. Verse 13 the very same chapter where the Apostle Paul is teaching about the spiritual gifts, what we see is that this is not the case. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is for, with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. Paul is saying, if you're a part of the body of Christ, you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now flip with me to Acts chapter 2, which is the clearest example we've ever seen in the Bible of people speaking in tongues, where we read, beginning in verse 1 of Acts chapter 2, that when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared and rested on them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And remember, this was at the time of the Passover, or one of the feasts, excuse me, I'm not sure which one it was off the top of my head. It was one of the feasts, and now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of this multitude came together, they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak and they were in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished and said, are not those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hear in our own native language and look at lists all the types of people who heard their own language? The only time speaking in tongues is ever described in the Bible is in the book of Acts and the book of Corinthians. This is the clearest example. And what we see is that Jesus pours out His Spirit and that when the apostles spoke in tongues, they spoke in real Human languages. Not a private language. Not an angelic language. And what did they do in those tongues? They proclaimed the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The spiritual gifts are focused upon Christ. It enabled them to be witnesses. Again, let me reemphasize, I love my Pentecostal friends. 
But there is nothing in the Bible that pertains to speaking in private devotional languages. These were given for the revelation of Jesus when the Bible was not yet completed. And so my friends, if you want to talk to God this evening, how do you do so? The Scriptures tell us you get on your knees, you turn to the Father, in the name of the Son, and by the power of the Spirit, you pray. And when you want to hear His voice, you open up the Word, and He speaks so clearly to all His children. The Spirit is personally with every single person who trusts in Christ. I want to show you something else about the Holy Spirit. That He's not only personally with me, but He's also powerfully with me. Now most of the time when we speak of the Spirit's power, we think of healings, don't we? Miracles. But when we come to John chapter 15 and 16, we see that the Spirit's power is not actually displayed in miracles. Jesus says that the Spirit's power is best seen in witnessing to Jesus Christ. That the Spirit powerfully helps us witness to Jesus. Doesn't the Catechism also say this in question 53? He makes me share in Christ. That is true spirituality, being spiritual, is not ecstatic visions and power, but true spirituality is centered upon Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, look with me again at John 15 and 16, that He is going to send the Spirit powerfully. And what is the Spirit going to do? Verse 14, He will glorify Me. The Spirit points us to Christ. Just like God the Father sent His Son, and the Son glorifies the Father, so the Son and the Father send the Spirit, and the Spirit glorifies Christ. And so the Spirit actually bears witness. If you look at verse 26, it says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. The Spirit is not coming to glorify Himself. Just like Jesus, again, didn't come to glorify Himself. The Spirit will magnify and glorify Jesus. You ask the question, how is the Spirit going to glorify Jesus? Look at Jesus' teaching here. The Spirit will glorify Jesus by helping us bear witness to Jesus. See, the context of our passage, remember the upper room discourse, one of the things Jesus has been teaching His disciples is that after His departure, they are to be His witnesses. To go into the world and proclaim Jesus Christ. But He has told them they will face so much opposition. Look with me at chapter 15, verse 18. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated Me before it's hated you. 
The world is going to hate them. Verse 23, whoever hates me hates my Father also. And they hated Jesus without cause. Look at 16, verse 1. He says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of synagogues. The hour is coming when they will kill you and think they are offering service to God. What's being described here is that the disciples, they need to be Jesus' witnesses, but they're going to have opposition in the civil sphere, and they're going to have opposition in the ecclesiastical sphere. What that means is that the world will oppose them, and the church, the Old Testament church, the synagogues, will oppose them. This is a hard place to be a witness to Jesus, isn't it? But if you look at verse 27, Jesus says, I'm sending you the Spirit, and the Spirit will help you bear witness to me. That we have a divine reinforcement. That the Spirit of God will be sent from the throne of God to empower the people of God to be the witnesses of God. My friends, have you ever considered that if you have the Holy Spirit, you have all you need to be a witness to Jesus? Sometimes we make excuses. Well, I'm not smart enough. I'm not old enough. I haven't dealt with a sin in my life. But Jesus is saying, if you have the Spirit, you have everything you need. He will help you. He will guide you. Now, this isn't the only thing the Spirit will do for us. Our catechism mentions He also helps us to share in Christ and all His benefits. If you have your Bible, I know I'm getting you to move around here quite a bit, but if you turn to chapter 14, verses 15-23, through 23, here Jesus lists the benefits of having the Spirit in your life. Verse 15, He says we can love Christ only by the work of the Spirit Verse 15, we can obey the commandments of Christ by the work of the Spirit. Verse 19, we have new life by the work of the Spirit. 21, we know God by the work of the Spirit. Verse 17, we are so personally acquainted with God now by the work of the Spirit. That is, that if you have the Spirit, what Christ has done is now yours. That if Jesus died and you have the Spirit, His death is now your death. His burial is now your burial. His resurrection is now your resurrection. His ascension is now your ascension. And His return is now our return. And so if we have been given the Spirit, what we've really been given I shouldn't say really, but what we've been given in its reality is that we have also been given Christ, spiritually speaking. Romans 8, verse 9 says of the Spirit, and you see it all throughout the New Testament, the Spirit is also called the Spirit of Jesus Christ. If you've been given His Spirit, you have been given Christ. One word of application, my friends. Notice that people drive by our church and they might say, well, the church is empty. 
there's no God there. And they, maybe they might come and they'd say, there's no statue, there's no God in this place. But what Jesus is saying in the upper room is that even though to your eyes I will not be with you, and it, the separation is felt physically, the separation is not real. That even, go, even though Jesus goes away to our senses, He is still with us by His Spirit. And His Spirit is powerful and can help us in this life. When we're struggling with a sin, let's run to the Spirit of God to deal with the sin. Struggling with our children, run to the Spirit of God. Our bosses, our co-workers, our family, our friends. Jesus is telling us that there is power in the Spirit. Let us run to Him. For He is powerfully with us. Do you believe it? He is here. Even right now. Jesus Christ is in this room with us. And He will never leave and forsake His children. Notice finally with me that He is permanently with us. This is the third and final advantage that the Catechism mentions. It says that He also comforts me and will remain with me forever. Remember that the word for Holy Spirit that Jesus uses is parakletos. As we sang in Creator's Spirit by whose aid. He is the paraclete. He walks alongside us. That even though it disturbs the disciples and their hearts are sorrowful, it's necessary that Jesus go that the Spirit might walk alongside them. And this is a great advantage. It's an advantage even though so often we don't even recognize it. Do you know that you have reaped the rewards of the Spirit without even knowing it? The reality is we don't know when the Spirit was first given to us. It may have been around the dinner table during family devotions, maybe in catechism class or school, or just in a conversation. But whenever it came to your mind that Jesus died for me, not just others, but me, that was the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Catechism says, He comforts me. And what is the theme of the entire catechism? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That is my comfort. That's how the Spirit comforts us. Working behind the scenes, without our knowledge, He brings Jesus to us and comforts us with His Gospel. Long before you realize what was taking place, He was with you. And maybe even this evening, some of you are searching, and you've only found spiritual emptiness in your life. That too is the Spirit working in your heart. Pray right now that you would know to the Spirit that you would know that Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And when this comfort is given, 
it will never be taken because He will remain with us forever. He will always be with you. And maybe for those of us who have known Christ for many, many years, some of us may be facing great trials in our lives, poverty, sickness, problems at home, whatever it may be, let us too pray for the daily presence and promise of the Spirit. The Lord Jesus says, or promised I should say, to send us the Comforter. He has kept and He always will keep that promise. So may we pray this evening, whoever we may be, come Holy Spirit and dwell in me. Let's pray. Merciful God, we do give You thanks for Your Holy Spirit who is God the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He is also the gift of Jesus given to me to help me in this life, to help all of us in this life. Father, we pray that Your Spirit would dwell within us this day. And that You would do Your work in us. And that, Father, we would continually trust You all the days of our lives. We pray, Father, that You would be glorified, that the Son would be glorified, but even this evening, that the Spirit too would be glorified. We pray all this in the name of Christ, by the power of the Spirit. Amen.